listening to the Health and Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and you can find me on naturopathnsw.com.au. Today, I'm joined with Laura from Burton Health. Laura works as a naturopath from her clinics in Sydney's Dural and St. Leonard's, and she also runs the Burton Health Tea Club. These podcasts will feature discussions on various health conditions, health tips, and nutrition from a naturopathic perspective. Sometimes it's just me, sometimes I'm interviewing guests. All the time, I hope to share with you information on health and well-being with the aim to empower and educate. Please remember that all information is general and not a specific recommendation that replaces consulting with your healthcare practitioner. Please talk to your healthcare practitioner before undertaking any changes to your treatment regime. So hi, Laura. Hello. How are you going? How are you? Yeah, good, good. Holding along. Um, what have you been getting up to lately? Uh, well, I actually had a week off last week, which was really nice. Uh, and now it's just sort of putting your head back into the clinic. Um, I was traveling on holidays there for pretty much the time. Well, actually, it's pretty awesome. But, yeah, it's really busy this week. Getting ready for next month's tea club as well. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Yeah, well, I mean, I've just been yeah, working at the clinic, um, doing these and um, going to the obstetrician, <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> so, I think podcasts, they're really good. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm glad. And, and now, hopefully, um, they'll just continue to grow. <laughs> So I know you have a bit of an interest in menopause. When I first uh, qualified, I was actually it was the thing that I was really scared to treat. Uh, I was in my early twenties, and I thought that you know women would just sit in front of me and think, "Oh, what a she do." Uh, <laughs> so it was the it was the one thing that any time someone came with menopause, I think, "Oh, you know, be a bit nervous." And then I started treating it, and I realised what great results we can get. Uh, and the the lady that made me start loving treating menopause she just she's probably the worst case I've ever seen and she came into the clinic very angry very unhappy and sat in front of me and said you know I've tried everything nothing works this isn't going to work uh you feel my last hope but you know I know there is no hope uh and so I started treating her and uh, the next time she came in she was a little bit looser maybe less hot flushes the next time she came in a little bit better again the fourth time she came in, she walked in and smiled at me, and I knew that <laughs> we'd done it. Uh, and you know, she said to me, "My husband's starting to love me again. You know, I'm nice again." And by the end of it, she that time she came to see me, she'd been suicidal, and that's when I realised what we can do. And that's when I fell in love with treating menopause because it can be life changing. That's wonderful that you were able to get such great results with her. I actually yeah. find it a really um, satisfying thing to treat as well. But I I experienced that same experience when I started the clinic. And I think because I did look so young as well. Um, and I've, I've, I've often wondered why that was the case, that I, um, I had a lot of people not want to see me because I was young, but then they would be happy to see see me for a lot of other conditions and I think it is because uh, people who are going through menopause feel so alone they feel like they're not heard um, by everyone else like by, by their family by their other healthcare practitioners and so they're looking for someone who's gone through it so that they can say you're not crazy yeah <laughs> and 
I, I guess when when they start realizing that even though we haven't personally been through menopause, we're we're not gonna say, yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That. That's not menopause. You're just making that up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. And you know, now with and you're probably the same. Now with working with women who are going through menopause, I don't believe that anyone should suffer through menopause. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. There's a, there's such a huge range in how people do experience menopause as well. Like you can have the really really extreme climacteric sort of patients, and then you can have the does that one just breeze through? And I I believe, and I, this is more from a naturopathic perspective rather than a textbook um, perspective, that it does have a lot to do with how you um, have been in the last ten years or so of your life in terms of looking after your health and looking after your stress levels and things like that. And there is actually some research that does say that um, the severity of symptoms often indicate is, is um, determined by your health before you went into menopause. So I think that for everyone else, taking care of your health beforehand is, is really important and getting your stress levels under control. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, all right, a lot of people wonder what the symptoms of menopause are. Um, what would you, can you listen? Yeah, absolutely. So it might start off with the periods becoming irregular. So it might appear for a few months or uh, you know, miss a month and then come back. It might become really heavy. It might you might get clots. Some people get flooding, so it gets so heavy they just they can't get off the toilet. Uh, hot flushes, one of the hot flushes or the night sweats. Uh, some people get anxiety. Some people get insomnia. Um, some people get a crawling feeling on their skin, vaginal dryness, low libido. Muscle legs and pains, joint pain, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like you said, it can be for some women next to nothing, and for some women it can be all of the above. Yeah, yeah. And um, in terms of the stages of menopause as well, so this is where there's often a lot of confusion. Yeah. Um, perimenopause is basically anything up until you've had you've not had a period of 12 months so when people say do you think I'm menopausal it's like well we can't tell until later on it's a um, yeah we have you have to actually sort of wait to get that diagnosis so you can say that you're heading towards menopause by testing your FSH levels follicle stimulating hormone and like looking at your symptoms as well but mostly it's a retrospective thing yeah yeah so until you haven't had a period for a year that's yeah, and that's bad for some women. They might go nine months without it and think, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm almost there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, even because if you don't have a regular period or, like, you haven't stopped having your periods, you can still have um, menopausal symptoms. For instance, like the hot flushes um, can occur in up to 75% of women who are perimenopausal, so you're beginning, like, two years before they've actually had their... Um, Stops stops their period, and then it usually gets worse once once their periods have actually stopped. Menstrual migraines as well. That's a that's a common one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that can occur in about six to ten percent of women, and who have never even experienced migraines before when they're going through menopause. And usually that's caused by like the just the sudden drops in estrogen, which is it's, it's funny because most of the um, times high estrogen or imbalances in estrogen that can cause a lot of the symptoms as well. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's keeping it almost balanced throughout the whole time can make it a lot easier as well. The other thing is this is the um, surgically induced menopause. So that's when they've had their ovaries removed or their um, uterus removed. So usually when they've had their uterus removed, then a couple of years later they will go into menopause. And uh, But most of the time when you get a hysterectomy, it, it, it may leave an ovary in. So that's they can usually expect that later on. But if they do take out one or two ovaries, they're very, very likely to go into full bone menopause. And um, also you've got the uh, premature ovarian failure, which can occur from much younger as well. And that um, that can actually be a sporadic thing. So it's not always like a permanent thing when that does happen. It just depends on what's actually causing it to occur in the first place. Um, and then, and then you've got your um, chemically induced menopause as well, such as certain medications like tamoxifen or, or other medications can actually cause the ovaries to stop functioning as well. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people ask me as well, how long does menopause usually last for? <laughs> uh, varies with everyone. So, you know, it's like I said, some people might not even know. They just wake up one day and think, oh, I've had a period for a while. Uh, some people it can go for years. So the usually the estrogen starts to, the hormones start to drop off quite slowly. So people might not realise that's starting to happen. And then the perimenopause stage, you know, could last for a few months, could last for a few years. Uh, yeah, so it really, really does vary how, how long it's going to take and the age of onset as well. Anywhere between 45 to 50 is kind of expected. I think the average in Australia is around 51, uh, but there's so many variables. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women may think that they're going through menopause when they're in their 40s, but it's actually PMS and that, that can sometimes come on. Um, out of the blue because of stress or because of poor diet or, or whatever, um, but they, they're thinking, oh, this is this is menopause, I'm going through menopause. So um, if that's happening and you're in your 40s, don't automatically think menopause, think like maybe you just get your hormones tested and, and see what else is happening for you and look at your general health as well because like, if that's starting to happen, then you want to make sure that you take care of your health now before you get into menopause later on. That's your little warning. Yeah. That your adrenal glands are not so happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I don't know about you, but I think that the the hot flushes are usually the biggest complaint that I get from my menopausal patients. So, what what are some techniques that you usually have for dealing with that? My first port of call is always herbal medicine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's super effective and it can work. I had someone the other day who said it works within a few days, their herbs for their hot flushes. So, again, everyone's different, but it can work pretty quickly. Uh, the hot flushes generally are exacerbated by stress, so I think stress management is super, super important. Uh, so getting those techniques, stress management techniques, in, into action before reaching that menopausal stage and then learning to meditate, learning to do yoga, um, and the adrenal health. So the adrenals really, really need to be firing super well. So when our ovaries stop producing the estrogen, our adrenals take over and they produce more of the estrogen. So we want to make sure our adrenals are working well for that to happen. So stress, very important, something that you can start doing at home right now, working on that. Um, other techniques, you know, if people are experiencing hot flushes, just dressing in breathable white fabrics and maybe in layers so that when you do get a hot flush, you can see a few layers off. Um, some people carry it with a band with them as well, just to 
make yourself a little bit more comfortable when that's happening and keeping the hydration up because drinking that is Um, I love the herbal medicine as well, and then sometimes I might look at using some magnesium, some calming magnesium. Um, evening primrose oil sometimes can be beneficial, depending on the symptoms, but um, for hot flushes, mostly it's it's the herbs and those lifestyle techniques and the med- meditation and just sort of knowing your triggers as well. Yeah, and um, spicy foods, not so, not so much your friend. <laughs> yeah, and coffee. And alcohol. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can go back into it later. <laughs> yeah. Any other techniques that people should be dealing should be doing to help with other menopause symptoms? Uh, the diet is the one that we want to look at. So, uh, you know, for the hot flushes as well, and we are trying to get the body as many nutrients as possible to use. We might be using all the nutrients that might be needing at this time. So we'll always look at the diet and try and whack some of the sticky foods in. So foods that we would like to include are phytoestrogen foods. So uh, there's a, a structure in, in the plant foods that looks a little bit like estrogen to the body, so it can help to minimise the symptoms. So foods like black seeds and grapes and seeds and cubes, they're the phytoestrogen foods. Uh, then we've got the isoflavones as well. So these are seeds that produce a bit of an estrogenic effect in the body. So um, so again, you know, we're going to the nice naturopathic diet, legumes, fruits, veggies, uh, real food. Uh, uh, boron as well, so that's a, a mineral that's found in fruits and veggies. And so that helps our with boron, estrogen, uh, and it also helps to keep calcium and um, vitamin D going in the body. So um, fruits, almonds, grains, they're nice to um, like you said, we're going to use other essential fatty acids, so they help to prevent the vaginal dryness that sometimes comes along with the menopause. Uh, so, you know, eating fish, having fish in the diet, and again, the nuts and seeds, and keeping those nice oils in the diet. Uh, we know we need calcium when we go through menopause, so there's an increased risk of osteoporosis. Uh, so, you know, our, our nice calcium containing foods, um, going for our green leafy vegetables, going for cabbage, um, broccoli. Magnesium, like you said, so again, the, the nuts and seeds, the almonds, the green leafy vegetables, oats, vitamin E. So again, it's all coming back to, like we said when we did our stress talk, the, the good naturopathic diet, you know, the real foods. If we can fill our plate with real foods, we're getting lots and lots of what we need. So yeah, I think I think the diet is a, aside from using herbal medicines, like diet is, is really, really helpful. Um, do you have any other to add? In terms of diet, I'd probably be suggesting also to stay away from any sort of trans fats and commercially altered fats and oils and things like that, like um, like vegetable oils that have been heated and margarines and things because you do want to be conscious of your um, heart disease increasing risk when you're going through menopause. So um, staying away from deep fried foods and, and, and that and increasing your, your nuts and seeds and your walnuts and your, your grass-fed meats and fish in particular uh, for balancing that as well, because inflammation can have an impact on um, the estrogen dominance as well. So controlling your omega fatty pathways will actually be beneficial for, for doing that. And uh, there is some some thoughts out there that say that animal proteins and animal fats will actually leach calcium from the bones. However, this has been disproven now. Um, and then 
like you were saying before about like the like the old um, oils for the vaginal dryness as well. I find that like algae based oils as well, like in supplement form, can be really beneficial. And vitamin E and combining that with flaxseed oil can be helpful too. In terms of lifestyle, I think that it is it is just important for women just to get a really good quality um, lubricant that they're happy with using. And so that can be things like wet stuff or silk, those are in the natural ones. Alternatively, they can use um, a vitamin E capsule or they, they can they can get even more natural and look at using coconut oil or even more natural and look at using egg whites. It's up to them. <laughs> so it's just um, whatever they're comfortable with. I mean, of course, if um, you wanted to, you could even try using a cream, so like the vitamin E cream, and you could put in some um, calendula oil in there too, and that can be really helpful if there is actually irritation. Like calendula oils are useful for, for helping with any sort of topical irritation or skin irritation as well. Um, and then I think as well just increasing your intake of naturally occurring folate um, or folic acid as it's often known because that helps with balancing your homocysteine levels and homocysteine can be raised in some cases after menopause and there is there is the theory that that is linked with increased heart disease but apart from that I think exercise. <laughs> And that's that's pretty important for a few reasons. I mean, like, what, what do you usually say about exercise and menopause? Uh, so the bone density is one reason why the stress management is one reason, and then we've got the bone density. So uh, after when the estrogen levels start to drop, their bone density so they start to produce calcium from the bone. So this is especially happening in the five months after the menopause. Uh, or after the job. So, if we've got a really good weight mass before we go to menopause, that's awesome. Like that's going to give us more to, to play with. Uh, so, we want to make sure that our peak weight mass is achieved when we're in our 20s. So, if we can make sure we're nice and fit and healthy for our whole lives, that's great. But even so, once we go through menopause, exercising can help to, to get that um, bone density a little bit better. So, to keep having just about 1% calcium in the bone that gets back in there. So if we get the weight bearing exercise happening, this can be walking, you know, it can be running, it can be going to the gym and doing some weight. Uh, but you know, weight bearing exercise is just holding hold the weight. So walking is, is, is weight bearing exercise. We don't have to go too extreme. But we want to get people doing regular exercise to help with that bone density. And you know, really if you think about it, doing the exercise helps with the pain, helps with the you know, getting out doing it outside, getting outside and getting some fresh air and you know, seeing the environment, seeing the trees and that makes you feel happy. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it is definitely important. And, you know, some women, I forgot to mention this earlier, but it's weight gain as well. Experience the weight gain and the, the weight around the middle. So if they're exercising, that's going to, you know, that's hot flushes and weight gain. They're probably the two biggest things that I hear when it comes to menopause. So exercising, connecting exercise programs they haven't before is going to help with that routines that I like to recommend for people is a program called Strong Women, Strong Bones. And it's actually developed so that you can do it easily at home with things that you just have around your house, like some um, shopping bags and some milk, milk jugs and things like that. Um, and so it's really focused on improving your strength so that you've got less likelihood of falling. 
and also improving your bone density as well, so it has that weight bearing. I don't think that you really need to stress about doing really high intensity exercise after menopause. It's more about doing calming exercise like yoga, but then also doing things that are going to be building up your strength. Because for women, one of the biggest um, indicators of or predictors of death is a fall leading to a hip fracture. So in order to prevent that, you want to be keeping yourself strong and fit so that you have good proprioception, which is that ability to move through space um, and without falling and hurting yourself. So you need to be doing your squats and your lunges and push-ups and your, um, you know, your sit-ups and all that sort of thing and protecting your lower back and keeping, keeping your core strength really, really good so that you've got that reduced likelihood of injuring yourself. And also, by, like you were saying as well, um, by doing your weight training, you're going to be pounding the calcium into the bones. And so that's actually what's going to be making your bones stronger over time. It's of all the of all the research that I've read on the on the bone health, the most effective thing you can do is the exercise. You can take all the calcium in the world, but if you're not exercising, it's not going to get in there. So that's that's really important. And 120 to 150 minutes a week is the magic number with that. So if you can do that in one go, or you can spread it out throughout the week, and it doesn't have to be all through one form. It can be a bit of a variety, so including walking, yoga, aqua aerobics. Um, although that might be a bit too hot for some people, and um, and weight training, that sort of thing, that that's really beneficial. I understand for a lot of women it is really difficult to do exercise because you actually get an increase in inflammation causing like like joint pain and, and aches and pains and things like that. So you, you kind of have to work around that and find what you can do to navigate to navigate that pain because if you don't do anything, it's not going to get better. And if you can keep the weight down, particularly as you were saying about how like it carries on the abdomen, then that's going to be increasing. Uh, that that weight gain around the abdomen is where like you've got the propensity for the insulin resistance and things like that, which is what we want to be avoiding because then that's where you're going to be um, leading on towards diabetes and heart disease. And, and menopausal women have a much greater risk of heart disease than men do, so we really do need to um, take care of that. <laughs> And with, uh, this, that first exercise program is mentioned, where can you find that? You can just Google Strong Women, Strong Bones. And so there's free, free programs online, or you can actually get books with it, but it's really easy to do. Yeah, that's my problem. But with my proprioception, I've got my. I'm bad with that too. I'm, I'm always um, collecting door frames. <laughs> I have now, so I had to do a 
And a lot of women going through menopause do have dairy issues anyway, so uh, because sometimes they do find that their gut gets a little bit worse during this time, so they, they need to look for other options. I, I guess it's a very individual thing because there is that fear that it can increase estrogen dependent cancers, but like you said, I really do think it depends on the type of soy uh, because traditional cultures aren't having soy milk, they're having tofu and tempeh and miso and soy sauce. But a little bit isn't going to be terrible if that's all you can handle. And if it helps, go for it. And I think our problem is that we think, oh, it's good, so I'll have a lot. So then we have to look at our breakfast and we'll put it in the cup. And it's too much. It's, yeah. it, it, it might help and it's probably not going to do any damage. Uh, but it's when we go a bit crazy, like with anything, you know, if we have too many wholesale foodies, then we're going to end up with some problems as well. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that it's so easy for people to get carried away and to go kind of obsessive with certain foods and to, um, to use it. Whereas, like, I like to have, like, a couple of types of milk in my fridge. And so, like, I might have my, um, like, spiced oat milk for dinner and I might I'll have real milk in my cup of tea and I'll, I might have, like, very between I, I don't usually have one or two at a time because otherwise it'll go off. <laughs> I think rotating through the different types can be good. Even combining them sometimes is okay, because then you're going to be taking that burden off yourself. But one of the things is, um, as well with soy is that you've got to look at your total xenoestrogen load. So um, I think getting back to how we were originally talking about the mechanisms of what's actually going wrong in menopause is that um, it's often to do with the actual imbalance, the fluctuations and the imbalances and the sudden drops and changes between the hormones as well. And so what we should be having is like a really nice sort of go from like estrogen and progesterone gradually declining together. Whereas if estrogen suddenly increases because you're exposed to xenoestrogens or progesterone drops down because of a stressful event or something like that, then you get a relative um, deficiency or excess of one or the other. And that's when the symptoms can be really bad. So looking at xenoestrogens in your environment is, is really beneficial. What are the main xenoestrogens that you usually Plastic, plastic, and you know, yeah. uh, people think plastic water bottles look plastic. Things like the car, you know, some summer's day in Australia, if your car gets really hot, the plastic in the car leach the female you know, as well. But they can't store as much car breaks for a little bit before you get in. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's, you know, yeah, it's a really tough one, and I guess it, it's minimizing the um, exposure and then helping our body. Yeah, and so that's um, important when we're looking at the lip milk as well. Um, and our water source can be a pretty bad xenoestrogen source as well if it's recycled um, water because you have all these women taking the oral contraceptive pill and then passing that into the toilet and then that goes into the water supply and then we have a xenoestrogen source through there. So I think that filtering water, if you do have a recycled water and getting a good quality water filter is, is going to be beneficial in that and then like you said as well it's all those fire retardants like in your car and in your, in your sofa and in your mattresses and things like that. Like I just got my bassinet and um, 
I opened up and it came with a mattress and like for the actual cot I bought a tea tree organic mattress but for the bassinet it's a specific mattress that you have to get and I pull it out and I'm like oh my god smell those bromides <laughs> and so the fire retardants are part of that um, halide group of chemicals which includes fluoride and bromides and um, and so that will actually interfere with your iodine uptake into the thyroid and then that can also interfere with the xenoestrogens as well. So you've got to have um, plenty of iodine in order to detoxify those those chemicals. And you need to also be having a healthy liver, drinking good quality water, eating lots of your um, fresh fruits and veggies so that you've got the chemicals to detoxify it. And While we're on that, um, this would be good to um, answer one of the submitted questions that we got, which was, um, could the role of the liver be explained and benefits of supporting function in pre- and menopausal women? And so I think, um, I'll just say for that, I do think that it has a lot to do with the clearance of the xenoestrogens and reducing the dominance of the, of the xenoestrogens and the estrogen dominance and um, affecting it in, in that way. Um, similarly, from a Chinese medicine perspective, the liver is a very hot organ and that if you've got an angry liver <laughs> for whatever reason, be it um, too much alcohol, too much caffeine, too much sugar, or anything along those lines, then you will generally be hotter. Um, but in terms of estrogen metabolism as well, it has an impact on there as well. Um, can you go into that a bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So when the ovaries stop making uh, estrogen, then we do still get a little bit of estrogen production coming from our adrenal glands. So the precursor to the estrogen, the form of estrogen is called estrone that comes from our adrenal glands. So the precursor to that is, is made in the adrenal glands and then this travels to the liver and the liver metabolizes it and estrone for us. So we want our liver to be working well so that we insert and get this weaker form of estrogen because there are still a form of estrogen working around to keep our body um, it's interesting as well the different types of estrogens and how they act in the body. And um, normally we've got estradiol as our main type of estrogen, and, and I like to think of her as she's like your charismatic friend. <laughs> she's bright and she's bubbly, and um, like she's great to have have around, but a lot of the times she can get kind of overwhelming. Um, so if you experience like a lot of irritability or breast tenderness around your period and things like that, that um, you need to get some estrogen boundaries. <laughs> And so, and in order to do that, it's like getting your iodine, which helps to stabilize and downregulate your estrogen receptors. You also need to have a really good, healthy gut function as well, and having plenty of your good bacteria because they're also involved in the metabolism of clearance of your estrogen. And um, a lot of the time, people who have gone through a course of antibiotics, they might experience a worsening of their PMS symptoms or their menopausal symptoms. And so, um, taking your probiotics and doing all the gut stuff to repair that, which is a whole other topic altogether, <laughs> that can um, that can have an impact on there too. But if you do have the estrogen dominance stuff going on, there are supplements that you can take. Like there's one of these things. Um, there's also one called DIM, which is available um, in some supplements um, or the just diet. I can't even pronounce it. Um, diet. Diet. <laughs> <laughs> Diiodomethane. <laughs> it's because it's got two eyes in there that it's kind of tricky. Um, but 
but then also you want to be keeping your inflammation down as well because if you've got a um, chronically activated immune system with inflammation, then um, then you're going to have some hormonal issues all over the place. And so inflammation can impact on ovulation, which can deplete progesterone, and it also blocks the um, receptors for progesterone and also GABA, which is the um, calming um, neurotransmitter. And inflammation can kind of stimulate the receptors for estrogen, meaning that um, your estrogen is going to stick on for longer and it's not going to get cleared out as easily. And it's also going to be much more active, and so you'll be much more sensitive to estrogen through your environment. So through those phytoestrogens, and xenoestrogens, it's all important for you to have as well. So to keep my inflammation under control, don't smoke. Avoid inflammatory foods like junk foods, like all those mentioned, like trans fats that we were talking about before. Some people may benefit from cutting down wheat um, and other, uh, other sugars as well, and maybe switch if you're, if you're drinking cow's milk, switch from A1 to the A2 protein um, milk, and also look at including some magnesium supplements or magnesium rich foods, which is like your, your dark greens, your veggies, nuts and seeds, and things like that. But also, turmeric is really beneficial as well. And you've got to have one for your dark milk. <laughs> so, um, there's a lot of supplements out there on the market. What would you be thinking about? How, how would you explain to people what they do? Not that we usually recommend those ones in particular. From my experience in clinic, this is when people come in and say, I've tried everything, I've tried all of the supplements on the shelf of the chemist and they don't work. And I'm surprised that they actually come to the natural because they truly believe that the herbs don't work. I, I love the person and they're true. Uh, but it's it's really individualised. I think that's the, the key message here that no no two women going to menopause are the same and will receive the same treatment. So why why would every person you know, why would we give every person on the same tablet and have it work uh, for them? So some of them are based on the isoflavone, and you know there is some research that suggests that the isoflavone should be taken with fiber.
um, raising out the characteristics that it actually has. Using it as a cream, you're not actually able to get any of that activation happening. But a while ago, there was a lot of Qualidium creams on the market that had synthetic progesterone in there. So people were using these creams going, they're amazing! <laughs> and then going, well, yeah, but that, that, that's the thing. And then when you actually look at it, you go, well, <laughs> you're kind of taking it wrong and you were taking HRT, like synthetic hormones, so that's not so great. Um, and then like you've also got a lot of misinformation out there at the moment with black crow hosh as well. Have you heard much about that? Uh, no. Well, there has been a couple of reported cases of liver damage. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And it, it got really, really um, exaggerated, I think is the word, um, because when you look at the reported cases, they've got a lot of the time they're taking it in big formulas that have got liver potentially damaging that's already in them. Um, they like that's a, a long time. I think there was something like five cases um, where it actually happened, and so there was the combination formulas, and they were um, that that was usually in the UK, and they have a few more herbs that are approved over there that can actually cause liver damage. And then some um, over here, then there was times where they happened to be taking black cohosh, but then they were also drinking three bottles of wine a night. Like. <laughs> So it's one of those things that I, I, I say, well, let's we'll monitor your liver function tests and monitor how you're going because we've got to keep it in the back of our mind. Like I'm not denying that that possibility exists, but I just think it's been really, really overhyped and kind of um, like there's this um, podcast that I've been listening to that's really good and it talks about how like human brain and how we learn things it's so um easy just to go with correlation and like think about it like that one i'm just trying to find the name of it you are not so smart it's called it's really good <laughs> and um that one talks about how like you, you we're so easy to sort of um go well i blame this because this happened or this and sometimes like we see this happen a lot in any sort of health setting is that like it's, it might just be a coincidence or it might be unrelated. Yeah, yeah, it's that, um, that confirmation bias where you know, it's always rains when I wash my car and no it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you wash your car so many times it doesn't rain, it's just that, that one time it does rain, you go, oh look, it always rains when I wash my car. So, yeah. yeah. I, like, I like the um, analogy of like uh, people who eat ice cream are more likely to get eaten by sharks because they are eating ice cream at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the ashamed to use um, loose black cohosh because that's one of my favourites for the hot brushes. So. Well, that's probably, this is probably then a good time to sort of get in, wrap up and say, what's your favourite herbs for menopause? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's black cohosh in a go-to for hot brushes. Um, uh, peony, love peony, um, shakamari, mm -hmm. you know, everything, everything, everything. <laughs> so, uh, the, you know, we've got some really lovely women's herbs. They're, they're my three favourites without going through all of them. Uh, what about yours? I like using aromania a lot because the adrenal involvement in menopause. 
but I usually find that most of my menopausal patients are really super stressed out. And so it has a cooling element to it as well, which can be good. Um, I do like using like coat wash, but sometimes I also use chase tree as well because that's helping to um, sort of support the ovaries and support the progesterone levels. Um, similarly, wild yam. Uh, but I also like using astragalus and bupurum, which is another cooling liver herb, and so that's, that just takes a lot of that heat out. So th that's usually what I work my formulas around, just depends on the actual person. Um, but yeah, number one would be Romania. So what are you up to for the rest of the day? Thank you.